before we get into looking at Mark this morning, got a couple books I want to recommend to you. Um, the first one is this one. It's called uh, Living the Cross-Centered Life. Um, I read this book a number of years ago, and it's been really influential in my life. Uh, I actually try to read this book at least once a year. So if you're wondering how in the world can Jesus be the center of my life, how can I live a cross-centered life, um, what does it look like for me to take the gospel into my everyday life, uh, this is a great book to read, and I would encourage you to pick this up. There's only one copy of it, so uh, it might go quickly, perhaps. Another one is, if you're interested in looking at Mark and uh, wanting to know more, because obviously there's a lot of stuff that we're not covering, especially since I'm just speaking to you four times. Um, another book on the table over here that talks about Mark is Jesus the King. It's written by some guy you've probably never heard of before called Tim Keller. Um, and this book is outstanding. Um, anything by Keller has been really helpful to me, and, and this book is also really helpful. So if you're interested in learning more about Mark, Here's another, another great book. It's even one that you can kind of read devotionally. It's not super long chapters at all. They're broken up um, very simply and clearly, and there's just rich application throughout. So this is a good book. Another one that I've been reading and haven't finished yet um, is if you're here this week, and really all these books are helpful for that, but if you're really unfamiliar with Christianity and the message of Christianity or even with the idea of grace and what that really is, um, this is another book that I haven't finished reading yet, but it's called Extravagant Grace. And this has been a book that's really helpful to me, thinking about grace in the day-to-day -day life as well. So those are three books I'd recommend to you if you're interested in buying any of these back here. So thanks. If you have a Bible, let's look together at Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read the first 20 verses to you this morning. For we are many. 
and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had possessed with demons begged him that he might be with them. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's pray. God, help me this morning. Help me to speak your words with your heart. Help me to rejoice and worship in your Son, our Savior and Lord, as I'm speaking. Take your word and, and connect it to our lives. Help us to see how your word defines our experiences and defines reality and defines life. Um, Lord, help us get a handle on this story and show us the Savior and the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. This weekend we're looking at this idea of what are four things that you can't live without. And last night we looked at the first one from the first few verses of chapter 1, and it was you really can't live without the Father's voice. All I meant by that was this, that as the text said in chapter 1, that the heavens opened up when Jesus was baptized, and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I love him. You can't live without hearing that father's voice and receiving that. Now, you might be able to exist, but you can't really live without embracing and receiving the love of the father as he's given it to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we're going to look at the second of these. And I'm going to tell you the second at the end. But what I want us to do is to walk back through the story. And I want us to kind of relive it. Not that I'm going to get demon-possessed or anything like that. But I want us to walk back through the story to make sure we're on the same page. And then I'm going to try to bring it home to each one of our lives. Alright? So if you're ready, bear with me. Let's dive in. You ready? Let's get into the story. Let's get in. Here's how the story begins. Jesus is on a boat with his disciples. All of a sudden, they beach the shore on the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee. As soon as Jesus beaches the shore and he begins to get out of the boat, someone is there to meet him. And just in case you didn't notice, he was probably screaming. And this guy was not a normal guy. Did you catch that? He's not a normal guy. As a matter of fact, check out verse 6. 
It actually tells you that as, as Jesus was in the boat coming closer to the shore, this guy was up on the mountains watching the boat to see when it might land. So that as the boat was landing, he actually could get on his giddy up and he could run down the hill and meet Jesus just as Jesus was coming out of the boat. Could you imagine that? Here you are, getting out of this boat, ready to walk across the shore, and this guy is running down the hill to meet you. And it's not just that this guy isn't a normal guy. It's that he is, I mean, you know, he is really jacked up. <laughs> the text tells you that he is super strong. Like there are people who tried to contain this guy with handcuffs, with chains, and he was strong enough to where he was, he was actually like literally ripping those chains apart. Now, I don't know how strong y'all are, but I have never been able to rip off a pair of handcuffs. I've never been able to like someone tie me up a chain and he just like rip that junk away from my body. Can't do that. This guy was strong. Not only that, but people knew how strong he was. And it wasn't that he was like this reserved guy that lived up in the mountains and his best friends were, you know, dead bodies and tombstones. It's that he was screaming all of the time. Like if you lived in a little town, what you would know is on the other side of town where all the tombstones were and all that, like there was this guy and you would just hear him randomly screaming all the time. Is that like a safe place to live? And you would even know if you lived in the town that you would know the people that went to that part of town and tried to hold this guy down with chains and shackles. There's another translation of verse 4 and 5 that says something like, he could not be tamed. He had something supernatural going on with him. And here he was running down the mountain. He had all these demons inside of him, like 2,000. Isn't that interesting? You know, we, we live in a culture that has a tendency to do one of two things with Super, the supernatural, and in particular the demonic. Oh, and maybe this applies to some of you. There's some of you that probably obsess over this stuff. You know what I mean? Like paranormal activity and all those movies, you're like there. And, and you like love being scared to death and wondering what's going on. You're like infatuated with this stuff. Now on the other hand, there's the rest of us. And we kind of want nothing to do with this. Like, we, we, we want to pretend and think that we live in a world in which there's nothing demonic going on. You know what I mean? Like, we stay away from that job. We hear about somebody's messing around with that stuff, satanic stuff, demonic stuff. It's like, wow, okay, going to avoid them. <laughs> going to stay away. Just going to keep it between the ditches. Just keep going straight. Not going not gonna to mess with that. Well, the Bible reminds us that this stuff is real. The Bible doesn't want us to completely ignore it as if it isn't real, nor does the Bible want us to obsess over it at all. But God wants us to know that this stuff is real. This guy lived among the tombs. He was super strong. No one could tie him up. Verse 5, he was always crying out. If you even look at verse 5, it even says that he was a cutter. He loved to cut himself. 
Yeah, I'll just let that hang for a minute. Cutting goes on in the Bible too. Not only that, but he was, verse 15 tells you he was naked. Whoa. Like this dude is running down the hill, butt naked, just juiced up, ripped. He is scarred, he's bloody, and he's got the look of a thousand demons in his eyes. Now imagine yourself in Jesus' sandals. He comes out of the boat. He's ready to get you got that? Good. You guys aren't as asleep as I thought you might be. Jesus gets out of the boat and he beaches ashore and this guy is running at you and this guy runs right up to you and he is screaming in your face. And Jesus doesn't even flinch. Isn't that awesome? Now if that were me, I would have picked up an oar from that boat. <laughs> and I would have hopped up on that shore if I was feeling, you know, real tough. Maybe if I had some liquid courage, I would have gotten out of that boat, and I would have taken that oar, and I would have tried to knock this dude out. Might have. Probably wouldn't. But maybe. Maybe you would have tried that. Jesus doesn't even flinch. Isn't it fascinating that Jesus is just speaking with him? When we look at verse 8, he's like, hey, what's your name? What's up? Let's talk. It just fascinates me. Well, Jesus is talking with this guy, and it's amazing how he's restored, isn't it? The legion of demons asked Jesus not to torment him. Jesus, just leave me alone. What in the world do you have to do with me? Just leave me alone. Don't bother me. Jesus, just, just leave. Well, they didn't want to be sent out of the country. Verse 10 tells you that. So Jesus sends the demons into the pigs, and the pigs run off the side of the mountain, and they die. You might wonder, well, why in the world is that going on? Why does Jesus do that? I don't really know for sure, but I'll give you some ideas. This is just day guessing. So don't take it as any more, anything more than that. What if God's trying to teach us that demonic activity only wants to kill. Those of you that want to flirt with demonic things or know people that do, what if God is just trying to teach you that demons want nothing but to kill? They want death. And they couldn't have it in this guy, then they wanted it in those pigs. What, what if Jesus wanted to show this guy, here's another option for you. What if he wanted to show this guy by sending the demons in the pigs? What if he wanted to show this guy, you are completely healed? Like everything that was in you is gone over the cliff, bye-bye. What if Jesus also wanted to show his power? This is how strong the Jesus of the Bible is. That he can make one move, do one thing, and thousands of demons have to obey him. Isn't that awesome? I mean, as much as you might think this dude is strong and can rip up chains, what about the man, Jesus, who can speak and remove the thousands of demons? 
Well, that's your Savior. That's how strong he is. Well, word spread. Look at verse 14 through 17. Word spread like crazy. The text tells you people told him in the towns. They told in the country. They said it everywhere. They told everyone, listen to what happened to this guy. This guy was healed. But what's so fascinating is they didn't want Jesus around. Isn't that interesting? Here they lived in this town, and they were tormented by this guy. They couldn't tame him. They couldn't control him. They couldn't confine him. All they heard was his yelling and screaming. And Jesus heals them, and they want him, they want Jesus to go away. Jesus, get out of here. They begged him to leave. You ever thought about why in the world that would be? Well, let me make this suggestion to you. Because I don't really think the human heart has changed that much. As long as that guy is in that town and he's in the mountains and he's hanging with dead bones and tombstones, as long as that guy is out there, that means that everybody in town can always say, hey, at least I'm not him. At least I'm not that bad. I mean, yeah, I'm imperfect and I don't do everything I should and all that, but I mean... I'm not him. You ever find yourself thinking that? Well, at least I'm not that person. I've never done that before. I don't think our hearts have changed that much. We like to always know that there's somebody out there who's kind of close to us, but they're kind of out from us a little bit. We like to always be able to say, I might be messed up, but at least I'm not them. Well, Jesus heals this guy, and this guy begs to stay with Jesus. Look at verse 18 and 19. He wants to be with Jesus. And Jesus says, no. Jesus says, you stay here in the community where you live. You stay here. Now, what's so amazing about this is that if you've ever had somebody that's meant an awful lot to you, if you ever had somebody that's been there for you when you're really down, when you've been really hurting, that naturally draws you to them. You know what I mean? Like you totally get the fact that this guy would love Jesus, right? You totally get the fact that this guy was crazy and Jesus healed him and he's like, I've got to be with you, Jesus. Wherever you're going, I'm with you. And Jesus is like, no, you stay here. We can relate to that. I've got friends in my life who've been with me in very difficult times, and that has done nothing but draw me closer to them. So it's kind of weird that Jesus says, stay. But you realize what he tells him. He says, stay there so that you can tell how much mercy I've had on you and how much you've been loved. See, I want you to understand that God has you exactly where he wants you. He really does. And in your mind and in our hearts, they're always restless. And they always think, well, the grass is always going to be greener. You've heard that over and over. It's probably just a boring statement to you. But yet our minds and hearts wrestle with that all the time. Where we think, well, if I just go somewhere else, then I can really do ministry. Or I can really do this. Or I can really find fulfillment. And the truth is, you are in the one of the most unique times in your entire life. 
And this is one thing that I've always loved about RUF. And it's because it's biblical. And it's that your campus ministers want to encourage you to love the campus where you are. And that is a wonderful, biblical, deep, biblical thing. And it challenges us. Maybe you've noticed that RUF is a little bit different, right? From this standpoint. RUF likes to take you away from campus so you can get equipped and strengthened and built up. And then they like to take you back to campus so that you can be involved and active. Right? You see, RUF understands that the Bible says that, that really there's only two places to do missions. Here and there. And if I'm not doing it here, how in the world do I expect to do it over there? As if missions or whatever just kind of drops out of the sky when I go somewhere else and boom, now I can do it. You see, oftentimes the allure of our hearts is, oh, I can help people over there because I will never see them again. And then I can go back and live with my people. And I can just stay in my holy huddle. And I can just do my thing. And God, you see, is getting into your life and he's saying no, especially to you all in this age and this time of your life. And part of me sometimes wishes I could be back in college, but I can't. But you have an amazing opportunity to love the people where you are. And you have an amazing opportunity to love the universities and the colleges where you are. Don't fall in the trap of thinking that you've got to go somewhere else to do it. Going somewhere else is great. Going on mission trips are great. God's for all of that. God's for doing missions over there. He just doesn't want you to forget that it needs to start here, where you are almost all the time. So Jesus told this guy, stay here. Stay there. Stay where you live. Stay there. And tell people how much mercy I've had on you. Now here's the funny part. Do you realize what this guy would have to do to demonstrate the mercy of God and demonstrate the love of God? Let me make it real simple. He had to put clothes on. <laughs> All people ever saw was this guy being naked. And now he's not anymore. That's why it, that's why it says in verse 15, Whoa, he's in his right mind and he has clothes on. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah, you never thought evangelism could be so easy, did you? You never thought doing missions would be so easy, did you? I mean, here's this guy, literally, he has clothes on, and he can have a conversation with people. That's all he would have to do. It's that simple. And so, even living where you're supposed to live, you might get all worked up and think, well, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. Well, let me just tell you, make sure you have clothes on. <laughs> And, and, and you just talk to people when appropriate. I'm not saying like, you know, you, you get in that conversation with somebody and you just drop the gospel grenade on somebody. That's not what I'm talking about. Some of you have had that done to you. And it's horrific. When I was at Western Carolina, it was so fascinating to watch folks do evangelism, you know. And I'll pick on Western because I used to be there and had to think through this. And there are some folks that just like, you know, want to pass out water. And they're just running up to people. And they're just like, water in the name of Jesus. 
And so my students came to me and they're like, Dave, what the H are they doing? And I'm like, uh, well, they're, they're trying to be faithful to their God. They're really trying to love people. They're trying to serve people. They're just doing it in the most awkward and abnormal way possible. Because they think they have to. I used to tell my students at Western, do you know a great thing to do on Western's campus? Smile. Look at your campuses. Can you walk around campus and just notice that people don't smile? Jesus has put you there for a very important reason, and it's not that complicated. We just always want to make it complicated. Jesus just wants you to love people and smile when you're supposed to smile, frown when you feel down. He wants you to be yourself because he's changing you. And as he's changing you, that is going to spill over into how you relate to everyone around you. I'll never forget, Wes, I'll just tell this real quick. I was walking around campus and one of these groups came up to me one day and they just like, you know, all right, I'll, I'll admit to y'all. I avoided these people. I'm sorry. I did. Like when they would be in the, in the center part of campus, on the main floor of campus, I would purposely try to walk around the back side of all these buildings and avoid them. Campus minister, I did it. And one of them got to me. <laughs> And he ran over to me. He was like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm doing okay. Heading to meet somebody. He's like, well, let me pray for you. Okay, okay. Um, what do you want to pray about? I'm like, well, why don't you pay, pray that I would repent and believe the gospel? He was like, let me just look on his face like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So I'm just saying... Jesus tells this guy to stay here. Just like he's calling all of us to live where we are. Do normal things. One of the statements we have at our church and that someone said is, God wants us to be ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Love the people that are around you. That's what Jesus tells this guy. What you do every day has great importance. It really does. All right, well, let me try to bring this home. First thing is that this teaches us piles and piles of stuff about sin. I don't need to wrap it up. If there's, if you have, if there's sin in your life that you're just trying to ignore and not dealing with, let me tell you, this text is telling you, this story is telling you that undealt with sin leads to confusion, it leads to paranoia, it leads to isolation, it leads to alienation. And if you're willing to think about your own lives, you'll realize how true that is. When you've got something that you're harboring and keeping in your own heart, not telling anybody about, and not confessing to the Lord, you will get confused. And you'll begin to wonder, why in the world is God doing this to me, or why can't I overcome this, or whatever it is, and, and you'll just think that it's just about you, and you'll get really, really confused, and then that confusion will lead to being paranoid, to where you're paranoid about it, so the people around you might start to ask you something about what's going on in your life, and you really just want to not talk about that all, so you just shut down, and then it leads to alienation, because you're not dealing with it, you're trying to just forget it, and you can't. 
And so then it puts you in a spot where you just feel like you're slowly, ever so slowly, disconnecting from people. And you might end up hating yourself. And you might end up hating yourself so much that you're out of control. And you might even get to the point where you want to cut yourself to relieve some of the pain or some of the pressure. Whatever it is, whatever the reason is behind why you do that, or your friends do, or the people that you know. That's this guy. That's how it relates to us. This is a picture of us when we don't deal with sin. Here's the second thing. It shows you how amazing the love of Jesus is. How amazing it is. If there's one guy in all the Bible that you would think that Jesus would refuse and walk away from, I submit to you it would be this guy. This guy is consumed with every single thing that is contrary to God. <clears throat> he lives by himself. He's alienated from everybody. He hates himself. He's full of a thousand demons or more. Everything about him is contrary to God, and Jesus doesn't even flinch. Doesn't that encourage your heart? Doesn't that speak to your soul? Jesus could have walked away, but he doesn't. He's just talking to this guy in the same way that he talks to you through his word when it's preached. He's just talking to him. Same way. He's just talking to us. And you realize that in Mark's account, this is all part of the story. Because not too many days from this story in Mark chapter 5, not too many days from now, What you'll find is Jesus at the end of the story. Where at the end of his earthly life, you'll find Jesus naked, cut up, alienated, isolated, all alone, on the outskirts of town, enduring all that Satan and his minions can pour out. Enduring all the wrath of a just God outside the city, all alone, enduring the consequences of your sin and my sin. What did he look at? What did Jesus look at when this guy came running at him? He saw what he was going to become so that he would win you, so that you, right now, today, can have confidence. That no matter what's going on in your life, Jesus isn't going anywhere. He can handle it. And he can take it. And he's so powerful that he endured all that your sin deserves so that you might be in your right mind, clothed in his righteousness, living where he's placed you to talk about mercy that he's had on you. Four things you can't live without. Can't live without the Father's voice. You really can't live without knowing where you belong. And it's right where you are. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are so powerful and loving. When you saw this crazy man, 
hate himself, cutting himself, alienated from everything, isolated, angry, strong, self-dependent. You didn't even flinch. And Jesus, you're the same today. You don't even flinch. Help us to stop running from you. Help us to run to you. And even more than that, Jesus, help us to realize that you have placed us exactly where you want us. So that we might live normal lives, doing normal things, showing, imaging, talking about your love and your mercy. Help us, Jesus, to have confidence in you and know we belong. That's where you place us. In your name, amen. Amen.